to welcome my friend Ross Meekham uh, to come this morning. He's going to be bringing the word to us. So Ross is a, a longtime member of this community. Ross works uh, in, at Virginia Tech and is uh, an all-star. And uh, what other things should I say about you, Ross? That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> okay, I told, I told him that I was going to introduce him as being the most splendiferous person I know. Uh, so there's that. So, Ross, uh, would you come and bless us with a word this morning? Can we welcome Ross? I'll try. Let's see. Well, good morning. Thanks for letting me be here and for... Uh, diving into the message. Every time I deliver a message, uh, it's really an opportunity for me to be closer with God. And so I thank Jonathan a lot for this opportunity. I've been around Fieldstone for, I don't know, the last 10, 12 years, almost as long as, as Bob Job. And we both are showing that age, Bob. Only Bob wears it as a senior statesman, and I wear it as a frumpy, older person now. <laughs> so it's uh, one day I'll, I'll live up to that uh, legacy that Bob Job has put in front of all of us. Um, several weeks ago, Jonathan asked me if I would deliver the message, and I said, yes, I love doing that. Uh, I have delivered the message for a number of churches and have been doing this for a while, and I would love it. Tell me What's the series on? And he said, it's on differences and how community really needs to embrace differences. Yes! How exciting! We need churches, communities that are embracing differences. Please, Jonathan, tell me, tell me, how can I be a part of this? What are you talking about? And he said, well, we've divided this into a number of differences, and the one that I really think you can relate to and you can add value on is agent ability. What? What is it? What's it going to be? Agent ability. Age? (laughs) What? (laughs) You want me to ask Bob Job about this? (laughs) No, no, we think age and ability. And so I take that um, as an honor, of course. Who wouldn't? being an expert with age, uh, want to share anything and everything you know by the time you get this old. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me um, start with the scripture. Reading this morning from 1 Timothy's uh, 4, chapter 4, 10 through chapter 5, 5. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them, 
Persevere, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God always. It never fails to amaze me how you can think anything. You can have any intersection in your life, and if you just open the Bible, there is word there to inform. This scripture that we read this morning is all about how we behave in community, how we take our gifts and use them in community, and how we treat each other in community. And so it's really an ideal for talking about differences and for embracing the differences that we have. You know, throughout my life, I thought through this week several spaces that have put me at intersections with differently abled. And I was able to embrace these spaces in ways that I hadn't thought of altogether. You know, when we stand back and look at our lives and are able to think of the key events or those points in our lives, and we see all of a sudden that there's a pattern. There's a message that God has told us over and over again when we simply step back and look, and that's what diving into this over the last week or so has given me the opportunity to do. One of the first pieces that I thought about from thinking through those with different abilities was my cousin who has Down syndrome. And she absolutely is wonderful, wonderful, and has had all the support and all the love, and we call her Little Anne. She's named after her aunt. And I might tell you, as you already are guessing, yes, she had a crush on me growing up. (laughs) All do, it's a passing phase. The truth is, because she had the crush on me, she allowed me to spend more time with her at Thanksgiving and at Christmas than perhaps she let other people spend time with her. And so we were able to talk in ways that I would not have had that opportunity to really understand who she is and what she's thinking and how her day actually happens. And so growing up with someone like that, I already had a slightly different view of what we called disability of what the disabled looked like and could do. Then the next piece, which was really so important, was back in 1989, if you can imagine such. I was in college, and it was my second year, and I was working my way through college by being um, at the Art Center selling tickets. So I worked in the ticket office at the Art Center on campus. And one evening, we had an opera come to the theater. I was just about as excited as you might be thinking about opera. Not interested one bit, but I was making money and it was fine. 
Well, what happened during that first half of the opera is that there was a family there with two sons, two college-age sons who had different abilities. And during the performance, they made noises, and they stood up, and they did things that made people quite uncomfortable around them. And one of our donors asked our manager if we couldn't do something about that. And thank goodness I was not in the manager position. That is not a space that I would want it to be back in 1989. But at that time, not knowing better, we asked that family to come out of the theater. I know, I know, but 1989 was a long time ago. And we've changed our thinking. But what we did that evening was we brought that family into our office. And we set them up on the sofa. And we gave them drinks. And we gave them food. And we turned on the big screen where we could watch it. And I was able to spend the second half of the opera with this family. Never before had I experienced an opera that was so great and so moving. All the excitement that an opera could give happened when these boys were watching the opera. I would never have had that opportunity to understand what real emotion looked like if I had not joined that family in that very intimate space and understood that disability did not mean no emotion, that disability did not mean no understanding, that disability simply meant for those young men that they would be expressing themselves in ways that others in the theater could not understand, and yet never have I seen another opera that meant more to me, I promise you. Never (laughs) have I seen an opera that meant more to me. But at that moment in time... I was transformed. That one key event in my life that lasted for just an hour changed the way I view the world. From there, I went on and worked in Winston-Salem at the Arts Council giving out grants, and there's a wonderful organization that I became an advocate for called the Enrichment Center, which works with people with different abilities and lets them create wonderful things. Actually, Danielle and I were just there a couple of Christmases ago buying more pieces of art that came from these students. And then one of the best ways that I could ever imagine, my wife, my fiancé at the time, agreed that for our wedding, and we had a rather small wedding, Instead of going to play golf the day before or going to the spa the day before, what she and I invited our guests to do was to go to a place in Greensboro, Sanctuary House. Everybody should have a fact checker. I have mine. (laughs) We went to a place called Sanctuary House. And Sanctuary House is a home in Greensboro that works with different ability folks, and allows them to be anything, adding value everywhere. And we took our whole wedding party that day to volunteer. Little did I know everything I would gain that day. What a wonderful way to start my marriage with my wife by really valuing 
all the differences that we could see. I still have um, this, uh, they made a little cone-shaped hat out of construction paper and and then glittered bride and groom on it and put the pom-poms right on top and required us to wear them for the rest of the day. I still have those. I still have those tucked away in my closet because it meant so much. So you see, in every way, in every way, my heart is really ready to understand that disability does not mean no value. That different ability simply means that. Different ability. And yet, I really began to think, are we ready for this? Are we ready to embrace a community that calls for differently abilityed people to be members, to be part of, to be welcomed, and to be given space to add value. I don't know that we are. It reminded me of a commercial that the Methodist Church had not so long ago. And the commercial was this. Um, The camera panned into a church, and there were a number of different kind of people sitting there. A number of different races were present. A number of different ages were present. Some differently abled people were there. And as the camera panned, the, the pews actually were ejection seats, which could work on some days, but not all days. But what we saw is that African Americans were ejected out. What we saw is that elderly folks were ejected out of the church. What we saw is that differently abled people were ejected out of the church. And the tagline at the end of this commercial said, God doesn't reject people, neither do we, meaning the Methodist church. And I thought to myself, that is excellent. That is exactly where we should be. But are we there Do we really believe that we don't reject people in the same way that God doesn't reject people? Are we much more different now than we were in 1989 when we asked people to be separate but enjoy? I think there's still some road to go. I think we're a little bit different than we were in 1989. I think we do a little more that God might have us do But I still think that in lots of ways we treat separate and together. And I don't know that we can live in a world, I don't know that we can develop a community that really has separate and together trying to be in the same space. There's a really good book that's called Vulnerable Communion by Thomas Reynolds. And in this book... He talks about embracing differently abled people into the church. And he comes from his own background of having a differently abled son and what kind of acceptance it looked like and and what his road looked like. But what was really interesting to me as I was reading this is that he has a notion of something called cult of normalcy. Cult of of normalcy. And this cult of normalcy is really the standards by which we judge normal or not. 
normal or not. And in this cult, we see that it is very much a social process. That is, we get together and have some agreement around what's normal. What's normal behavior? What's acceptable behavior? We then go through the process of judging each other on whether we're normal or not. How many are normal? Just let me see so I know who I'm talking to this morning. Because this is... Right? There would be some of us who are greatly offended to be called normal because we strive so hard to not be normal. (laughs) And so we end up with this real social process, though. This process of building community by absolutely judging community. Who fits in, who doesn't fit in. If you don't meet the definition of normal then you're not allowed to participate fully in a community. If you're not normal to Fieldstone, then you may not participate fully with Fieldstone. Does that make any sense at all? You know, even when I looked up and talked to my friends over in Human Resources, I said, let me hear more. The Americans with Disability Act, which was put in 1990, which was really a strong piece of legislation for this society, still has a comparison. When you look at it, it simply says physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more of the major life activities. A record of impairment or being regarded as having an impairment. You understand when I say there's a law that says being regarded as having an impairment means that we've set it up for others to judge you, to regard you as having an impairment or not. You see, this whole notion of differently abilitated and whether we'll accept them into the community or not, whether we'll accept them in God's church or not, is a social process. It's really up to us whether we'll have that part of our community and embrace it or not. This really gets to the idea of what we value. And every day in my position, I talk to people about values, and I talk to them about values at their workplace. And a lot of people value things like um, uh, communication, everybody at your workplace value communication. A lot of people value things like transparency, At their workplace, they want to know what leaders are thinking. They don't want closed doors. As we go through practices revealing what values people have in the workplace, it turns to behavior in the workplace, right? If there's transparency, then there's no secret. If we value communication, then everyone's included. And so it had me thinking, what are the values that we hold as a society, What are the values in our culture that seem to have us so distant from each other based on ability? We certainly are hearing a lot about values with this political arena that's happening, right? When we think about values in our society, we think about things like freedom, autonomy, independence, productivity, (laughs) rationality, self-sufficiency. Those are the things we honor. The truth is, this is even how we're raising our children. I've already told them they can't live in my basement forever. 
they will have to be self-sufficient. And so I am just as guilty as anyone else at trying to live out these values. But in living out these values, have we also limited who can participate and be honored by these values? We are judging each other based on a set of values that somehow we have agreed to. And as long as people get the values, as long as people can act out the values, then they're regarded in really high ways. If in our country, if in our culture, you can't be self-sufficient, oftentimes you're thought of as less than. In our country, in our culture, if you don't really yearn for autonomy and freedom, then we wonder what you're doing. We think of you if you can't live out those values in terms of being really unhealthy. And like any other unhealthy thing, we'd like to cut that piece out. So folks who can't be self-sufficient, who don't add productivity to our economy, are not embraced. Oh yes, they are pitied, but don't confuse that with embracing them. Don't confuse charity with really welcoming as a part of this community. You see, when that comes out, then we've again asked them to step in but be apart from what the rest of us are doing. And so we can't really do that. You know, quite honestly, all of this value stuff is made up. Anybody in here truly autonomous? Even when we think we are autonomous, we as humans must cling to each other for life. We must. There's really nothing else connecting us but the need to be connected. Whether we're talking about where our food comes from or whether we're talking about where our emotional stability comes from, we rely on other people. So this notion of valuing independence and valuing autonomy doesn't make sense anyway for those of us who might fall into a majority. We really have to begin to understand what does that look like? What does it mean for our community? If we go with the basic assumption that everyone who came here today is simply trying to be a little more whole than we were when we walked in, we're simply trying to find some pieces that God will share with us today that give us a little more than we came in with. And if we're all striving to be a little more whole, to really understand God a little more, then that certainly doesn't rest on any of our abilities. Heaven forbid if trying to find wholeness relied on free throws, free shots. I don't need, what's it called, Danielle? Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> you stay with me, baby. This is how we get through. That's my wife, by the way. Some of you are like, who is that woman in the back? Listen, if it relied on that ability, I could not be part of this community. And yet, as asinine as that sounds, we have set other standards of ability 
as a way of knowing acceptance. What if, just what if, we valued vulnerability? We valued being human. What if we valued being loved and being a better lover? You see, I have to think, quite honestly, that of all the choices God could have made to make his point, choosing a human called Jesus Christ had to be the most vulnerable thing that he could have done. Certainly, we see all kinds of examples of powerful pieces that he has done before, and yet he sends down as his example of what to do and how to behave as the most vulnerable, open, disabilityed kind of example. And so how could we ask for more? How could we do anything better than that? And so when we think about embracing different abilities, when we think about a community of everyone, when we think about what God calls us to be as a church, we really do have to understand that at that intersection, we have choices to make. We cannot allow, we can bring in and pity, or we can absolutely accept all the gifts that God has given us in this church as the most holy of things, as the most holy of examples of what God has made. And so the question is not, what do we do about the differently abled? The question is, what do we do with the rest of us who can't see it as a gift from God? I charge us, really, to change the value to not always adhere to what the politicians are saying about self-sufficiency and independence being the most important things, about productivity being what's best for us. Perhaps humanity, perhaps loving each other, perhaps allowing others to love us in every bit of brokenness, in every bit of ability ranges that we have, perhaps that really is the space that God has called us as a community to be. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for every gift you have given us. God, we forget sometimes that we created what normal looks like. You never created something called normal. God, please allow us to look past what we see on TV, past what we hear folks say, to know that the values you would have us embrace are the values of inclusion for all the gifts that you have made called our brothers and sisters.
God, give us this week to think beyond what we know. Open our hearts wider for us to hear you as you teach us what this community can be. In your name we pray. Amen.